0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit RedemptionAZ.com. If you brought your device or your Bible, get to Exodus 15 today. We're actually, uh, we're going to read a big chunk of this. We've been, over the last few weeks, having to kind of narrate this because there's so much scripture that is there that we're not able to read through. Uh, So we're asking people to read before they come and prepare um, and do a little bit of homework and read through Exodus. Um, This has been an incredible series, but I want to remind you of something before we read Exodus 15. There's problems with with breaking Scripture up into chunks like this, and, and, and a major problem of that is that as we approach Exodus 15, we're trying to extract something from Exodus 15 without remembering the story that got them to Exodus 15. This is a chapter in a whole book, but this book is strategically placed amongst a greater and grander story and who the author is, God, who has given to us his word to remind us of who he is. So I want you to remember a couple of things. First of all, there was a, a man named Joseph who was brought. Uh, Because he was rejected by his family. He was brought out of turmoil and pain into Egypt. And he brought into Egypt in order to, uh, to be in prison. But while he was in prison, God continued to show him things. And actually through visions that he had received, Egypt was delivered from great famine. Joseph was a part of the Egyptians' deliverance. And Egypt was used to bring in Israel in order to the people of Israel in order to find safety and food. And they became a, if you will, a country. Over hundreds of years, what ended up happening is as Exodus starts up, a Pharaoh arose who forgot who Joseph was. And because of that, they looked at the people who were a part of their deliverance and their protection, and they began to see them as slaves and threats and enemies. So this pharaoh began to say, you know what, these are enemies, these are outsiders, and we need to force them into labor and make them do hard work. We've got an economy that we need to bolster up. They need to do hard work. And then you know what, there's too many of them, and so we need to force them into post-birth abortion and particularly target their male children. They ended up in slavery, under oppression and in bondage. And God raised up a deliverer named Moses. God used some midwives and an Egyptian princess and and his mighty, mighty hand to raise up this this deliverer named Moses. And Moses tried to take it in his own hands, but then ended up in a desert. And God called him back to the place in which he caused a lot of pain, in which he murdered someone, and he called him back to deliver his word. And what ends up happening is God says, I mean, Moses says, don't. I I don't talk well. The interesting thing about Scripture is that it doesn't make its people, God's people, look incredible. The ones writing history are not only real about their enemies, they're real about their own weaknesses and depression and anxieties and fears and doubts. And what we see here is God choosing an unlikely leader. You can say amen if you want to. God chooses unlikely leaders. And he sent him, even with his brother Aaron, or his, to go and to proclaim, Hey, if you all don't let my people go, God's going to handle his business. And that's my paraphrase but he sent plagues to deal with the oppression and to confront the idols of the of the land there were 10 plagues that were given and every idol of Egypt was confronted and God delivered his people not because of their of their good works but because of his blood God protected them God fed them he cared for them but even after they left and there was great mourning and wailing and and, and Israel was delivered Pharaoh said, you know what? I want them back. Went after them. And then God opens up this sea. They cross across on dry land. And then he drowns their enemies on the, in the sea. And they're standing there on the seashore. Dead bodies floating in the water. Their lives rescued. And they don't know nothing else to do. But sing. Sing. Let's stand up. We're going to read Exodus 15, not the whole thing, but I'm going to read part of it today. And then I want you to remember just parts of this song. I'm going to jump from, I'm going to jump verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to jump all the way down to, uh, to 19. But I want you to notice, we're going to try to cover this, but I'm just going to read sections of it. First it says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang a song to the Lord, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider have been thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. The Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Look at verse 19. And when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And Miriam... The prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took up a tambourine in her hand. Yeah, there we go. Somebody got prepared today. And all went out after, after her with tambourines dancing. And Miriam started leading in worship and said, Sing unto the Lord a new song, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider have fallen into the sea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, I know we are a multi ethnic, multi denominational, multi, multi, multi church. (laughs) And many of you come from traditions and backgrounds and You hear different styles of worship and music and preaching and all these kinds of things. And what ends up happening when you do that is that you come from traditions and all of you come from traditions. And when you are a part of tradition, what you can end up seeing is there's beauty in every tradition and there's also brokenness. How many of you all left your traditions for some of me because of the brokenness that was there? There's brokenness in tradition, and there's beauty in tradition, and some of that I, I've experienced in my own life. But but one of the things that I did this this week, as I as I read Exodus 15, is I missed my tradition because Exodus 15 is the first praise break. Ah. Now, I know that's part of my tradition not yours and and maybe just maybe you could learn from a tradition that you've been critiquing for a long time. Now I know the Pentecostal tradition is under great great easy targeted critique. People love to sit on the outside of the charismatic tradition or the Pentecostal tradition particularly because it's rooted in culture That many people don't understand, it's been led by for years, African-American culture, Hispanic culture, celebratory cultures, people of oppression. And we begin to think so often that that is not intellectual. We demonize emotions and begin to talk about if you feel something, that must be the devil. If you dance or if you praise, and what we do is elevate intellectual, and we never put the same critique, could you be too intellectual as well as too emotional? And the reality is, as you look at Exodus 15, God strategically puts in his word something that only can be illustrated is if you allow me to remember my tradition for a moment. Now, some of you may not get this, so I had to get an app because I don't got nobody here who can help me. It's like casting pearls before swine out here. Y'all don't get it. I know you don't get it. It's all good. I got to sit through your stuff all day long. You can sit through mine for a moment. Let's see if this works. Oh, I feel it already. You see, thank God there's an app for that. You know what I'm saying? So here's what would happen. Those who are uh, uh, familiar with with what it's like to be in oppression. If you know what it's like to be in bondage. (laughs) Oh, God, send me an organist. Send me an organist. Help somebody. I would preach so much better. You all would be preached happy every week if God would send me something. Send me a deliverer, an organist. I can tell you all will get it I try, to, I try to help somebody I'm just saying there's no way to accurately contextualize this By just trying to intellectualize this But only you who know what it's like to be in bondage Who know what it's like to have a master Who's treating you like a slave But you've been called into freedom But thank God. Hey, thank God. Thank God. You serve a good God. Yes, you do. Hey. Hey, you serve a good God. He's good. He's good. Oh, he's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. Yeah. Oh! Hey! Oh, oh, hey, hey. Hey! hey, hey. Hold up a second. Now listen, I know this may not be your tradition, and you don't have a tradition of praise, but I dare you to stand up on your feet right now and try it. You might like it. I know you don't know what it's like to smile, but go ahead and try it. Stand up on your feet, and I dare you to move it. It's all good. Y'all don't get it up in here. Woo! I saw some of you. I seen some of you at some, other, at some other places getting your fix, you know, so you can come over here and get something else, you know. Here, here, here's, the, here's the reality, church. We come into places like this, and because we don't have deeply rooted in many of our traditions a posture of praise, we begin to, if you will, overthink praise. We ask questions like, who's worthy to praise? So before we even answer that question, we start looking at ourselves because we would really love to deal with the plank in our own eye. That's what Jesus says to do. So we start to think, well, I've done some stuff this week. I've complained. I've doubted. I've feared. I've sinned. I've gone through some stuff this week. So I am not worthy to praise him. And because I'm not worthy to praise him, I don't want to be inauthentic. And so I'm going to stand there. Because I don't want to be hypocritical. And if I'm not hypocritical, I know I'm being called into praise. I know I'm being drawn into praise. I know that I need to praise, but I don't want to be hypocritical because I am not worthy to be praised. And then some of us think we are worthy to praise. So what we start to do is look at everybody writing praise songs and everybody singing praise songs. And we start to judge if they're worthy to praise. Oh, come on, Snoop. You can write some praise songs. Go ahead, Kanye. You want to write some praise songs? Go ahead. Anybody could write a praise song because praise is not rooted in your character. It's not even rooted in the character of the one who is singing. Praise is rooted in the God who has acted on our behalf and those who He has done His work for. It's rooted in Him. Praise is not rooted in, are you worthy? It's rooted in, He is worthy. Praise invites everyone to join in with everything they have and all that they are, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's the word. That's the word. Saved uh-huh. and unsaved. All of creation is designed to praise and adore its creator. When we enter into that place of praise, we are actually aligning ourselves with what we were created for. And we're joining in with all of creation, declaring His worthiness. Moses starts... And doesn't go, hey, you all are some grumbling, complaining. You see, I told you God could do this, and you all told me I should go and die, and you treated me like trash, and, and all of a sudden, I'm just tired and exhausted, I'm glad this thing's finally over. No, Moses comes to the other side and starts leading in praise and calls all of Israel to sing a song. Miriam picks up a tambourine and gets everybody going with a praise break. It doesn't matter if you complained on that side of the sea or if you're about to complain in just a couple days. Now is a praise break. Praise calls all of you to join him. Everyone. Because it's not rooted in you. This song is written with some real key things in mind, and I want you to notice it. First of all, praise him because he is a deliverer. I just, I had to do it because you all are helping me out today. I know I'm not going to go there. You don't realize how much restraint it takes me not to get some help from somebody. Praise Him because He is a deliverer. You want to know what they sang about? They did not sing about their works. They sung about God's works. I will sing unto the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider t- fell into the tr- sea, and all of this is in their minds. Going, I didn't believe Him. I didn't believe Him, but He proved it. I didn't. I didn't believe Him, but He proved it. And this is not about how I doubted or how I feared. This is about the fact that God saved me despite me. Praise Him. Because he is a deliverer, praise him because he is my God and he is our God. I want you to notice this is the first time and it came in song form. They couldn't say it in their own form. They would spent all this time complaining and since the beginning of Exodus, they kept talking about God as if he was other people's God. Moses is God, Joseph's God. It's everybody else's God. And now for the first time in the whole book, they say, he's my God. Uh (laughs) I know another thing in our tradition that we go, my God, my God, my God, my God. Because all of a sudden there's something different, but seeing that God is for everybody else, that when it breaks forth into praise, there's this reality that he is my God. And I will exalt him. And then he says, but also not only is he my God, he's our God. It not only changes the way I see God, but it changes the way I see my community. All of a sudden, in the midst of that, he's our God. He's our Father's God. We are in this together. There's a collective nature to praise. The other thing we struggle with in America, and there's a lot of reasons, but I won't preach this because this is about praise today. We have a hard time praising God for his justice. Because all of our songs are about love, and all of our songs are about warmth, and all of our songs are about these kinds of things. A big chunk of this song was about dead people in a sea drowning. All of his enemies being slaughtered in a, in a sea A big part of this song was victorious. A big part of this song was about how those who had oppressed him. Now the reality is, they sang songs of justice, which is different than taking justice into your own hands like Moses did a couple chapters ago. He tried to take justice into his own hands. I want you to see the contrast here, because when we take justice into our own hands and try to administer it as unjust people we will always administer it unjustly. But when the God who is perfect and right and pure and holy and awesome does His work of justice, all you can do is go, that was awesome. Scripture continues to warn us over and over again to not take justice into our own hands. God is the one who does the works of justice. We as his people are to pray for it and praise him for the works of his justice. We are constantly torn that we need to determine what is good and evil, but we are we are called to praise the one who is good, who knows all. It didn't... Happened fast enough. Can you say amen to that? They didn't do it. He didn't do it quickly enough. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't deliver them uh, uh, the first time. All of a sudden, it took 10 plagues, and, and they're complaining and grumbling and all these times. He didn't do it how they wanted him to do it, but he did it. And when he did it, it was thorough and it was complete and it was perfect and it was right, and all of their enemies were crushed. They were completely delivered. I wish America could sing songs of asking God for justice. I think we're scared of it. We're scared of singing songs of justice because there's a lot of judgment that only God can administer. And the reality is only He is able and worthy and patient enough and kind enough and powerful enough to do it, but also we praise him because he is powerful. Can you say amen to that? Not only is he just, he actually has the power to accomplish what it takes to do the work of justice and righteousness. Not only is he powerful, you should praise him because he's strong. All of these are words I'm stealing from this song. He is stronger then all of the enemies that would come against him praise him because he is great and over all other gods in the land. He is worthy to be praised. And here's why I wanted to start with that because I wanted to get here. We need a praise break. The reason why I like the word praise break, and I'll just tell you, and I may be a little bit biased is because it shows that we are called and designed with every breath in us continuously to be praising Him. But the reality is, praise has become a break from everything else. They needed a break from complaining. They needed a break from bitterness. They needed a break from trying to determine if God was doing it right or not. They needed a break to try to determine what was going on in their hearts and what's happening around them and all the things. They needed a break from trying to overanalyze everything and determine if it's good in their own eyes. They needed a break from their pain and their doubt. They needed a break from their complaining. And they needed to look at the one who is only deserving of all praise. They needed a break. Church, I I want to tell you this, for those of us like myself who are into spiritual formation and believe that formation is done through the spiritual disciplines, I want to submit this to you. There are things that form us into the image of Christ. Reading scripture is a powerful form of spiritual formation. Can you say amen to that? We need to eat and partake of his word. Silence and solitude is, is a powerful por- form of, 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 of spiritual formation. Retreating from busyness and, and going into places of prayer is a powerful form of, of spiritual formation. In church, I do never want to downplay those. Prayer is a powerful form of spiritual formation. But hear me on this so is praise, so is shouting. So is dancing. It is all a part of what spiritually forms us. There is a forming that happens when you praise. But remember, there is also a forming that happens when you resist to praise. Church, hear me on this today. You think you are resisting praise because you don't want to be hypocritical. But you are actually forming your affections towards yourself. Praise turns your affections away from your default of complaining and doubt. And anchors it deeply in the only one that can hold your praise. Christ is worthy of. Of all praise. and When you look at the beauty of the cross. What you see there is your enemies being crushed. You see deliverance that takes place. You see his blood shed. You see justice and mercy and grace. You see in Christ all that you could ever. But you cannot attain it yourself. But there is something in us. Because we are, are, are a culture that has has put our our, our, our our source directly anchored in. We can think our way out of this but could it we be that we have thought our way into this? That the more we think about our darkness, the more we think about our brokenness, the more we think about our depravity, the more we think about our doubt, the more we think about it, and there is place for it, that the more that we give it praise, we continue to put ourselves Anchored in, this is who we are. But when we lift up our eyes and take a break. And think of Him and His goodness and His grace. This forms your affections. Singing forms your affections. Dancing forms your affections clapping shouting forms your affections these people you could sit on the outside and say they complained they're about to complain again what jerks they don't they're not worthy of praise but this is not a call for you to determine whether they were worthy of praise this is an invitation for you to join in this is an invitation songs do that you could sit outside like a junior hire Scared to dance? (laughs) Critiquing everybody else? Or this song goes, man, I'm feeling this, but I don't want people to. A song calls you. It's an invitation. The reason why this song is strategically placed in Scripture, it's an invitation. And as we work our way through a text, I want you to also see... That what we see next does not take away from the power of this praise. But I want you to look at what happens three days later. They're right back to what they're good at. Complaining. I'll tell you what I learned from this this week. I don't need training on complaining. Let me just turn that on you guys. Y'all don't need training on complaining. (laughs) Y'all don't need training on complaining. I'm just going to tell you. That's default. And what we end up doing is trying to go, okay, well, I'm going to stop complaining. But but I want you to notice what happens. They begin to complain over water. You know what this reminded me of? I took my kids to Universal Studios this summer. Dana and I planned it. We spent, only parents would know with five kids, we spent thousands to get them in, you know, saved up all year, pulled some tax return money out, go, we're going to take them, they're not going to know about it. We show up at the gate, had no clue that we were going in, talk about a praise break. There were tears. They were falling out. I was throwing prayer cloths over the top of them. For the first time ever, these kids recognized the truth of how great of a father I am. You know what I'm saying? They were recognizing the reality that I've always known. You know what I'm saying? Dad, you're the best. I can't believe it, are doing it. I literally tears and crying. Dad, are you serious? You're serious. Are you serious? Of course I'm serious we had the greatest day they're giving me praise they're heaping it on they're just thanking me every moment and so I'm just feeling extra generous buy a sweatshirt get any food you want just go at it who cares if you throw up just go you want that of course thank you no problem pay it off later you know We get in the car to drive to a hotel. And I'm thinking, that was an incredible day. And on the ride to the hotel, a fight breaks out. I want water. Dad, I, I just need water. There's no water and I don't have it. They forgot that the same dad that spent thousands of dollars getting him in there could pull over and afford some Water. Within minutes. And here's what you need to see about the complaining of the children of Israel. Is you don't need to sit there in judgment like you never do. You need to see that God is a father and Israel is in infancy. The children. They just were birthed into freedom. Freedom. What else do children do? I didn't train them to complain. They just know how. But God doesn't even deal with their complaining. He teaches Moses, hey, throw this piece of wood in the water. It's all going to be fresh. They weren't even complaining about having no water. It was just not good tasting. He deals with it, but I want you to hear what he says to them. And the Lord says, "This is this is the uh, verse uh, verse twenty five at the end." He says this, and there the Lord made to them a statute of rule where they were test where he tested them. Note that word tested, saying, "If you will diligently listen to my voice, the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments, all of his statutes." This sounds like a good father. I will not put disease on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Here's what you have to understand about infancy. When you are training these people, your children, God is not a deadbeat father that just births them out of bondage and doesn't raise them. He is a good father who not only births his children, but raises his children. He leads them and in their infancy, here's what you have to see, that tests are given so that the God that we saw that was powerful and strong and helpful and and mighty and just really, really powerful and that we are, he is deserving of our respect and praise, the very next test that comes is because, not because they need to see more of who they are and their complaining self, it's because God uses tests. To show us who the true answer is. He's the true answer. He says, I put you in a test because I want to show you that I am not only a deliverer, I'm a healer. See, bondage has brought you into great affliction. Bondage has put you under great trauma. Bondage has changed your pathology. It's changed the way that you live. It's, it's, It's shaped you. And you are now out of Egypt, but you are still a prisoner. You are still broken, and you are still in pain, and you are still in agony, and I know this, and I know who you are, and I know who I am, and I am your father, and the only way you are going to receive true healing is through the same way that we live our lives. We live and grow through revelation of who God is. Church, I I am so convinced of this that I, I just want you to hear this from me. And I know that this is something that I've encouraged multiple times, but there are so many ways in which we go after healing. And and hear me on this. I'm not saying don't. There are so many ways that we go after healing, all in the attempt to try to heal ourselves. It is not until we realize that God can use means of grace to heal us, but it is only through a revelation of who God can use a stick in water to purify it. God can use doctors and counselors and help. He can use them, but when you start to give them praise over Him, you better watch out. Because God is The only one that is to get all of praise. And what he wants you to see is not all of these created things. He wants you to see, I'm your healer. I am your healer. Here's the reason why. Because we live not by bread. We don't live by water. We don't live by our strength. We live... By revelation. We live by hearing and obedience. We live by his word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And here's what I want you to remember. There's an illustration at the end of them drinking water, and we end with this. They need water, which reminds me of the water that comes out of us. James chapter 3 says it this way. Out of our mouths come water, blessing and cursing, praise and cursing. Out of the same mouth comes this fountain of praise to God and cursing of his creation. Out of these, his people, his children, no man can tame the tongue, James chapter 3 says. And you're like, well, I can No, you can't. No man can tame the tongue. And we spend all of our time trying to deal with taming our behaviors rather than what the gospel offers. There's another well. John chapter 4, Jesus sits on a well, and a woman comes out to a well, and he says, hey, girl, can I get some?" I'm paraphrasing. Can I get a drink? She goes, what? (laughs) What kind of Jew asks for water from a Samaritan? Jesus does something really interesting. He said, well, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. She goes, what? The water I give, you'll never have to drink again. The water I give heals us from all thirst. But it doesn't stop there. The water I give becomes a spring of water that pours out for others to drink from. The water that I give to my people is not just about Taming your mouth, it's about getting new water, living water, deep in the wells of your soul. Because if we continue to try to operate in positions of striving, outside of revelation, trying to heal ourselves, what we're missing out on is the deepest revelation that you could have. What you really need is living water. This is what Jesus this is what Moses was teaching them through this test they're going I'm thirsty and he gives us bitter water and he says listen I'm going to show you what you really need you need to know me as God your healer that through this test I'm going to bring about a revelation of this next thing I didn't just deliver you I'm also going to heal you So many of us are trapped in places of infancy, trapped in trying to think our way through things, evaluate our places, and try to work as hard as we can to get to these things. And here's what I would say, listening and obeying, obedience is a big part of following Christ. But so is listening. So is revelation. Can I tell you what Scripture says renews your mind? Romans says it this way. In view of God's mercy, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him, which is just reasonable worship. It's not even over the top. It's just reasonable It's just reasonable worship that you would present your bodies to him as a living sacrifice. When you enter into your place of seeing his mercy and worshiping him and giving him your body as a living sacrifice, here's what happens. In that place, your mind will be renewed. You want to know what happens when we try to renew our minds outside of worship? It doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Worship is what renews our mind. Yeah. It is the recentering of ourselves on the person of Christ. And in our position of worship, what happens is our minds are being, we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. I understand, just like many of you, I, I want you to hear this. I know what it is to need the crown of thorns. I am a classic overthinker. If it's not going to happen, I'll come up with a scenario that might happen. I'll wake up in the middle of night running through every scenario that possibly could happen. Even if it doesn't, I want to have a plan for it. wrestled with my mind's doubts and fears and worries, and I'm going to tell you this, the only place that I have ever found relief is in trusting God. And in knowing He is the only one worthy of worship. I'm not saying I never doubt, I'm not saying I never complain, I'm not even saying I'm worthy of praise praising him, what I'm saying is, praise him because he's worthy. Praise him because he is deliverer. Praise him because he. Take a praise break. Complaining will always be there. Doubt will always be there. Fear is always going to be there. Take a praise break think about him. and when you come and eat and drink of this, drink deeply what only look at what Christ has done for you. He poured out his body. he's, he's, he's quenched every thirst. He's gone after every craving. I know what it is to have bondage to my cravings and I try to go I'm not gonna crave that anymore I'm not gonna crave that anymore but what God's trying to do is not just stop us from craving ungodly things he wants to give us true cravings for him he wants to renew our affections so as you eat and drink remember who he is and as your mind defaults into doubt and worry and fear, I, I encourage you to just gently bring your mind back like David preached to yourself. Bless the Lord, all oh my soul. And spend the rest of this time today together worshiping and praising Him because He is good. And he loves you. Is provided all that you your This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.